Because of the way the universe is created, we each of us live in two worlds at the same time. We have to live in the outer life of our own bodies and the inner life of our own souls. Hello and welcome to Living the Inner Life. I'm your host, Chris Sheridan. Join me on the discovery process of exploring the inner life, this interior part of our experience that's going on all the time as we interact with the outer world. And it's my belief and the belief of a lot of other people is that we can move from the inner towards the outer if we want to be more productive, if we want to be more efficient, more successful in all areas of our life. So this is living the inner life from the in towards the out. And today I want to talk about shoes being too small. Carl Jung, the Swiss psychiatrist, said that we all walk around in shoes that are too small for us. Okay, now I don't think he means real shoes. What he's talking about is that we are living lives encumbered in a shell that's smaller than we are, than what's inside. Our inner potential is so much greater than the lines that we draw around outside ourselves for what we think that potential is. Now, a lot of us know we have probably more potential, or we're able to do more with the potential that we have than we are presently, meaning we can do more. We know we have more capacity, more energy, more dedication, more effort that we can put into things, okay? We're not all living at 100%, and you can't really live 100% all the time. We can only do as much as we can every day and with what we have to work with. But also, I think that maybe we don't realize how much potential we have, okay? You've probably heard of a car not operating on all cylinders, uh, so in the case of a V8, that is a, an engine that has eight cylinders, we might be moving and driving ourselves around the world with only six cylinders firing, okay? Meaning there's a couple more left. We have more capacity to do more, but that's what's known. And I think what Jung was getting at, that maybe we're not in an eight-cylinder car. Maybe we think we are, and that's the limit of our potential. Maybe we have even more than that, more than what's visible, more than what's recognizable, okay? More than we've actually tried to use. Now, I'm not sure what happens, but somewhere along the way, we stop growing. Now, we're always continuing our learning, uh, at least hopefully we are learning in that sense that we're taking in more and we're doing more, we're experiencing more. We are maybe reading more books, seeing more shows, uh, traveling to more places. Life is a continual process of learning and exploring and uncovering more and more. But in some areas, we don't, okay? We can start out intellectually in kindergarten and go through high school. We can, beyond that, learn a trade and whether we grow in our work, that is, through our jobs, we can take on more responsibilities, uh, rise up in the corporate ladder, as it were, or just get promotions. And as you have more experience, 
in the workforce in a particular job, you're going to know more. So as you get older, you may train new hirees that come in. You share the gift and share your experience of having had more time under your belt. Okay. But at some point, and I think this is again what Jung was getting at, we stop growing maybe emotionally. Okay. Intellectually and technologically, I think there's a lot more growth that continues in life than perhaps there is emotionally and spiritually, psychologically, philosophically. Okay. We, at some point, I think in adulthood, say, well, okay, we may not consciously say this, but we may say, well, okay, this is it. This is what I know. This is what the world has to offer. This is about my level of capacity. This is what I have the energy and ability to do. This is within my capacity. And we don't uncover, we don't discover, and we don't utilize, therefore, these greater parts of ourselves. You know, we've seen this, even people that you think would be grown-ups or leaders in the world. You can watch the government and the way they bicker and the way they talk to each other. It's almost like school kids or people in college, like a frat house going one up against each other. You know, very immature in a lot of ways. Immature in the sense that there isn't a poise, a sense of, you know, the wise older person. Okay, the crone or the wizard uh, in mythology is somebody that has a way of responding to the world that isn't emotional. Maybe that it is or as emotionally laden. Of course, you have to have some emotion. You want to have some power and fire and vitality behind the things that you do. But I'm talking about an immature reaction, okay, that it's on the level of bickering or name-calling, okay? These are people wearing suits and pantsuits that are making big money and they're spending big money uh, in the case of our government or business leaders, other types of leaders, seem to always fall short. You know, they're, they succumb to some of the same things that people much younger and much uh, less experienced in the world um, would react. So part of this growth is our emotional growth. Okay. And what does that mean to grow emotionally? You know, some of the things that maybe were very, very important at an earlier stage in life become less important. Okay. This need to be right all the time and call out somebody when they're not. You know, we can allow somebody else to not be right. And we don't have to prove ourselves or defend ourselves in our rightness. Even if our, we are right, even if somebody accuses us or uh, you know, points out uh, wrongly uh, that we're not right, um, that's okay, okay? You don't have to prove your rightness all the time or defend your position. That's something that's you know, a lesser matured emotional state. A person in that state would respond that way. Okay. So there's a poise, uh, there's a calmness, there's an ease that comes with emotional maturity. 
And I don't think we have that as much. I don't know if that gets honored as much. Everything is new. It's the the latest and the greatest, whether it's technology or the new person, the new artist, the musician that comes in, you know. Uh, well, I guess in the case of music, we do respect <laughs> some of the elders, you know, the Rolling Stones or uh, other bands that are still out there um, doing it. Even bands from the 1980s here, 40 years later, uh, are doing really well with tours. Uh, that may be nostalgia. It may be just what's commonplace. Uh, these are songs that may have been heard a lot. Um, but that's, you know, with taste and uh, in the public pop culture sense uh, that gets recycled in car commercials or things like that. We hear these songs again and again, and they have a lot of staying power, the classic songs. But as far as um, an emotionally mature person, okay, I don't know if we embrace that. Some cultures do. Have a lot of respect for the elders, even the ancestors that have gone on. All right? But I think we have just stopped in our growth that way. And that's the shoe being too small. Because what happens when an actual shoe is too small? Well, your feet hurt, all right? And if you're growing, now, of course, as an adult, generally our feet don't grow as much, uh, if at all. Um, but it's not that physical growth. Again, it's that emotional, that psychological growth that if we have an emotional shoe or a concept, a self-concept that's too small, then not only is it going to hurt, it's also going to prevent further growth. It's going to stunt our growth. So something like that may be going on. All right, and what we need, so what are the bigger shoes? Okay, how do you get out of these smaller shoes and open ourselves up to a larger sense of possibility and potential, having a larger shoe with more room to grow. Well, in the case of a goldfish, uh, it's been said that if you keep a fish in a small tank, they won't grow as much or as fast, like a bonsai tree or something. But if you put them in a larger tank, uh, that they will then grow. I don't know if that's the case. I think maybe they just eat more and swim more, and, and I think that has something to do with the growth, but still related to the size of the tank. All right? And I don't know if we have the examples in our lives of philosophically matured people, because they don't make as much noise. <laughs> They're not as perhaps exciting um, or uh, dramatic uh, and we have a tendency to respond to those things um, in that way. If it's a conflict or a name-calling fight, uh, that seems to get a lot of attention, a lot of play, even in what should be mature media. Uh, it's very much on the level of school children bickering, even though these are people that have large, large responsibilities. All right, so... We can't maybe change them as much as we can change ourselves. We can work on ourselves, ask ourselves, where am I stunted in my growth? How am I reacting to things that is similar to the way I would have reacted 
to them 10 years ago when I was in school or 20 years ago, if you're older, hmm? what patterns are being repeated? Emotional patterns, emotional response patterns. Now, I've come to understand in alcohol and drug uh, addiction and recovery that at the onset of the alcoholism, usually there's a trauma. And this can happen whether or not you pick up alcohol or drugs or not to cope with this trauma. But something significant happens over a series of events that can cause somebody to stop growing. And what they say sometimes in recovery is that once you then become sober, you pick up where you left off. So you may be 40 years old, but you're in an 18 or 19 year old emotional state, all right, because it stunted that, the alcohol uh, or whatever it is you bring on to stay stuck. Um, you stay in that emotional stuckness, smallness, too small, all right, these two small shoes. So to pick it up and to keep going, you know, we can see if we just run up against the same pattern and have some of the same reactions, try to recognize that. And if you can, say, well, geez, I was responding like a child. That was a little immature, okay? Especially now parents. I'm talking to you right now. If you're arguing with your teenager on the level of your teenager, you're not really helping. You're not helping you. You're not helping the teenager. You're not helping anybody grow, okay? You have to take the high road. Uh, be the bigger man sometimes, as they say. And don't retaliate. Don't fight back if somebody calls your name, you names. Okay? Well, geez, somebody called me a name. Well, okay. Are you going to call them names back and then just be part of that or stoop to their level? I think that's emotional level when people talk about being at a certain level. So take the high road. Maybe not a smug, oh, holier than thou high road. That's a false kind of being a bigger person, okay? It's allowing somebody else to be wrong. Allowing somebody else to be wrong about you. As long as it's not really hurting your reputation or putting you in some kind of financial or legal trouble, isn't it okay if they're wrong? Do you have to prove yourself right? What is weak in you that needs to be so defended and so defensive that you have to prop it up? All right. And this is what I mean by poise. I think there's a calmness. There's a centeredness about knowing who you are, about growing emotionally to where a lot of the slings and arrows that come at us won't be as destructive and we won't feel the need to respond on a, an immature level, a more mature response Think of it as even like a, a much smaller child, okay? Maybe a teenager you're going to argue, and they can fight back, and they can be, um, they can be very good at that. <laughs> um, I remember I was a teenager too. It happens to all of us. Uh, but a much smaller child, if they didn't get something right, or if they did something wrong, um, you're not really going to come down and hammer them. And, or call them stupid for not knowing something. No, you're going to help show them the way. Okay, Ooh, this was wrong. Try not to do that. Try to do it this way. You're going to show by example because you're much further down the road. You know how to do things. Okay, or an apprentice at work. Somebody you're showing the ropes. 
They're going to make all the same mistakes you did. All right. You know better because you've had more experience in life and as a parent or in work. And the proper way is to give direction, give, uh, show by example, give them the example of the correct way to do something, how to respond, how to manufacture something if you're in a, a factory type of a job. Okay. Because you know this, you've built this experience and it shouldn't be threatened because somebody doesn't know what they're doing. No, that's a time for you to rise and to be the calm, centered, wise person who can help somebody through something. We have to allow people to make mistakes. Okay. Cause we've made them throughout our lives. And when you reach a point where you're not making those mistakes in those areas and somebody else is, it's not to be critical. It's not to fight back. It's to help elevate them, help bring them to your level. If you're that much further along or at the very least, just let them make mistakes and they can figure it out on their own because a lot of growth and experience has to come from within. You know, we have to experience things. You have to make a mistake. You have to fall off the skateboard a few times before you know how to ride it. It's just, it's a natural part of learning through mistakes. You, a team would learn how to play better at their sport if they know how to lose. And you can take a loss and learn from it and then apply that to the next game and the next season and hopefully get better and, and win more games. All right. So we want to win with this, but society, I don't think helps us. Okay. I don't think that's valued as much. Somebody who's older and has more experience in something. Now I'm not talking about a 19 year old who looks at a 50 year old and goes, Hey, old guy, you know, I, I know what I'm doing. Okay. That's being 19. That's part of what that means, okay? Teenagers and, and young adults, probably all through your 20s, you, you should have some kind of arrogance about yourself in the world, okay? Because you haven't learned enough. You don't know what you don't know. You think you kind of know it all. And then you try that out. And how you've really learned is not from somebody older than you telling you. It's from you going, oh, <laughs> okay, I guess maybe I don't know everything, all right. And they say there's nothing more dangerous than a, you know, a 16 year old with a Corvette. Okay. You don't want to give somebody that young and inexperienced a sports car. Okay. You need to learn how to drive somebody who's, that's why insurance, car insurance is so much more for teenagers, especially teenage guys. Okay. Cause you think, you know, and then you go off in the world or on the road and then you realize how much you don't know. Okay. So we have to learn and grow through making mistakes. But if we don't allow ourselves to make a mistake or feel guilty or shameful or embarrassed by that, then we're not really getting the gift. We're not really learning from that. Okay. And so this mentor apprentice, uh, used to be so commonplace with trades and guilds and different jobs. A lot of jobs were in the family, you know, the blacksmith or the goldsmith, even your name, the bakers <laughs> uh, may reflect what it is you did for a living. And quite often it was generational that 
the sons and daughters would learn the ropes, would learn the family trade, learn these skills, even highly skilled crafts and arts. Uh, but you follow an apprentice, whether it's a, an older relative or whether it's uh, just somebody who's been in the job a long time. You're to follow them, you're to shadow them, to watch and learn and see what they do. And then you can gain this experience. Uh, you can much more quickly get to a higher level if you're really sticking close, close to a mentor who can show you these things. And in a very patient, uh, strong, yes, you don't want to let them slack off too much, um, but you want to make sure that you're giving them your best so they can learn and become their best. So think about that. Think about if you've drawn too small of a circle for you and your world, okay? And not just what you can see, not just what you know your potential is that you may or may not be living up to. You may not know how much potential you have, okay? And we're gonna talk a lot about this on Living in the Inner Life because most of that is inside. Our physical potential, what we can do, how fast we can run, how much we can lift, we can improve that over time. Um, but at some point, there are limits to that. And those are limits that we can see. And they're fairly realistic for the most part. Okay? But as far as our inner lives, on what our capacity is for compassion, um, for service, um, for growth and experience... We may just be living in too small of a fish tank, okay? We may not realize how much more capacity we have because a lot of times we're not asked. We're not pushed that way. We're pushed in some ways, sometimes to the limit on what we could do. And I think in kind of an unnatural way, the way work and a lot of other things in life, in society, in culture uh, these demands that are placed on us maybe too much, but I also think there's perhaps not enough demand or interest or example of a much greater life, a much bigger interior inner life that we have. Because remember, the inner life is just as vast, just as infinite as the world and the cosmos around us. It's very, very deep. I think we're very limited in our concept of what our potentials are. So stick with me, stick with yourself, open the door, ask, what do I not know about my potential? What hidden potentials do I have? And how can I learn to understand them, utilize them, and grow and share what you've learned? Okay? So think about that, and we'll think about you. Until next time, here on Living the Inner Life.